Welcome back, everybody, to the Fantasy Hockey Hacks podcast, a proud member of the Heavy Hockey Network and a recent friend of the Edmonton Sports Talk uh, digital radio station out of Edmonton. We had our show last night, and, and Bruce, I managed to hit record tonight, if you can believe it. Excellent. So that was, what, four minutes of dead air? Uh, approximately. <laughs> or, but we, or, or four minutes of just Victor talking with brief black, brief, brief dead spots. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Not ideal. Not ideal. But uh, that's okay. Yeah. We, we live and we learn, right? So uh, I haven't listened to it back. So Yeah, I, I haven't bothered either yet. But uh, of, of course, I'm Devin Davidson, your host. With me as always, Bruce Gunther. Hello. Tonight, episode 128, we're going to go over 0G and 0D, finding value late in drafts. And to help us do that, we brought on a ringer, a guy that we we love having on this show, a guy that I'm sure many of you will be familiar with, uh, Nate Groot-Nibblink, founder and host of the Apples and Genos Fantasy Hockey Podcast, originator of the Zero-G Draft Strategy, and contributor for Yahoo Fantasy Sports. Nate, welcome back. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, it's been another year, and uh, hopefully we're all another year uh, wiser and uh, not thinking about the older part. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're only as old as you feel, right? That's what I've been told. That's what I've been told. Um, so, hey, it's it's been a good summer for you guys over at Apples and Genos. You've been really busy. Um, you know, it looks like you you got a lot going on with with content this this season. I, I saw something about you guys are doing roughly five episodes a week. Yeah, yeah, we're really ramping up this week, this uh, year rather. Um, through the off season, we really tried to get our get ourselves established. Um, you guys know Blake Creamer, and he's come on yeah. with Apples and Genos, kind of "quote unquote" full time. All of his stuff is coming out through Apples and Genos now, yep. and he's got uh, lots of lots of pep and lots of uh, <laughs> lots of time to delve into a lot of fantasy hockey stuff. So he's added a lot of content, and then uh, I'm I'm more, I guess, just kind of transitioning towards doing more podcasting rather than. Um, more writing that I was doing previously. Right. I'm still going to be writing for Yahoo, but um, mostly now I'm going to be doing podcasting. And so, yeah, I'm going to be on the mic three times a week. Blake's going to be on three times a week. And we've still got Josh and John on with their midweek show. So we're, we're definitely trying to ramp things up for the season this year. Good for you guys. I Honestly, I, I can't even fathom five episodes a week, Bruce. Like we, uh, <laughs> we're I'm g- having trouble with two. Yeah, we're going to have, <laughs> we're going to have five. two and that's going to be plenty, but. Good for you guys. So, um, j- just for our listeners, anyone that's not familiar, Nate, where can they find your content and where can they follow you on social media? Sure. Yeah. The best place to follow on social media is probably Twitter uh, at Apple's Genos. Uh, you can find us there. Uh, there's the website where you can find links to pretty much everything that's www.applesandgenos.com. <laughs> And uh, yeah, if you find us in one of those places, you'll find links for whatever you're looking for. We've got a really active Discord community if you want to just hop in there and talk to other people who are probably wondering about the same player you're, you're thinking about dropping, then you can <laughs> talk it out with people in there. It's, it's really awesome. We have uh, yeah, like 700 something members in there now and everybody's helping each other out. And it's it's just fun to be a part of a community and to get to talk hockey all day. So. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Find us in all those spots. I, I can corroborate what you're saying. I'm, I'm in that Discord as well, and I'm not in there very frequently, to be honest. I, I think I turned the notifications off on Discord because it was just so much. But if you're looking for some some advice, just or even just conversation, like you said, it's a great place to be for sure. Uh, all right. Well, the first thing I want us to get into here tonight, 
Nate, was uh, some preseason discussion because as we we're just saying off air, we're dying for some current events, some, something, something <laughs> other than projections and uh, prognostications here because we've been doing it all summer long. So as much as we love that stuff, uh, we're all dying for the regular season to start going. So, but of course, we had some big news today. Um, Andre Vasilevsky underwent a successful micro desk. I can't even say it. Anyway, back surgery, basically for a lumbar <laughs> disc herniation. Um, you know, it sounds like he's going to miss about two months of the regular season here. So my, I had a couple questions for you, Nate. Uh, how does Tampa Bay fill the void left by Vasilevsky? And then likewise, what do fantasy managers do here? Particularly any fantasy hockey managers who have already drafted on, you know, on or before September 28th. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, if you drafted Vasilevsky already, like, there's not much that can be done, right? You got to hope that your league has some IR spots and you can put them in there and pick up somebody else for the time being. But, um, yeah, I think it definitely obviously changes the calculus on when you're willing to take them. Um, we actually uh, just had the Apples and Junos Patron League draft uh, before this podcast tonight. And uh, it's kind of funny in, in Apples and Junos because I'm – the zero G guy, everybody kind of plays zero G chicken and, and the boys <laughs> gets pushed down and pushed down and pushed down. So I got, uh, I got Georgiev in the 10th and I took Vasilevsky in the 12th. So wow. Those are oh, wow. Um, I don't think that's typical of what you'll see out in the wild, but I do think that, uh, Vasilevsky in, in some places, like people are going to hear back surgery. They're going to hear, uh, that kind of thing and be pretty scared off. There might be a chance where, you know, Vasilevsky find him there in the 10th round or something and that's not a bad spot to to pick up a goalie and throw him on your IR and then maybe you know maybe he comes no, back for sure. stronger and he's he's even stronger through the end of the year the last couple of years he's been kind of he's kind of faded towards the end of the regular season uh, Tampa's typically been kind of coasting into the into the playoffs at that point anyway so maybe this year he'll uh He'll actually be a little bit more rested and ready to go for the full season. He might actually even perform a little better when he comes back. But obviously, we'll have to see what the result of the surgery is. Yeah, I'm really interested to see just how he does bounce back from this. Because I think a lot of people were saying before, just what you had said, that he was going to be rested finally coming into the season. They didn't go in on a deep playoff run. Uh, this kind of felt like it was a, a bounce back year for, for Vasilevsky maybe. But uh, now he's going to get lots of time to rest up. So... Yeah, and and two, Bruce and I, you were talking off air. Um, there's there's probably a pretty good chance now that his ADP is is goes down a bit just based on some of this news because people people are going to look elsewhere for goaltending or just fade him altogether. Mm-hmm. I hope somebody hope I hope the rest of the people in our draft do because <laughs> I will take him. Well, I'll put it this way, Bruce. I hope somebody. I, I hope I can draft him in the twelfth round in, in, in a league somewhere. That'd be fantastic. Exactly. And maybe try won't doing my extreme. I did extreme zero G last year. Last three picks for goalies. There you yeah. go. Yeah. He's he's like your number one subscriber, Nate, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. Connor Bedard collected an assist at the United Center this evening. He looked pretty comfortable in the couple of highlights that I saw. Uh, World Hockey Report referenced him or called him a puck hog. I thought that was pretty funny, Bruce. <laughs> um, he might have to be on that team. He might have to be, yeah. Uh, but the kid looks good. Um, Nate, I'll just kind of go off script and ask you, like we've talked about him lots over the summer here. One of the questions that comes up frequently is is where do you draft uh, Connor Bedard? And, and so that's my first question. The second question is what is your outlook for him this season in terms of points? Yeah, I'm... I would say that I'm uh, maybe a little bit more 
pessimistic about Bedard this season than from what I've seen from a, a variety of sources. Uh, I have him projected out for 71 points, I believe it is. Uh, most of that being goals. I have him projected for 40 goals. I do think that he's every bit the talent that he's been billed to be. Like anybody who's remotely interested in hockey has seen the highlight package by now. Uh, we know the, the shot is world-class, the hands, the skill, the hockey sense, it's all there. Uh, this is definitely a quote-unquote generational kind of player. I do believe that, but I, I just don't think you can discount the fact that it's still a team game and that team that he's going to in Chicago is just absolutely putrid. They really don't have much to, to go in around him. And I think it's, yeah, like it's a tangibly worse situation than people like Matthews or McDavid came into in their first seasons in the league. And I think you just have to kind of temper expectations appropriately. Like even if he is that good, what is his true upside when he literally has to do it all himself? So that's kind of been my, my thought process with it. I've heard some people saying, you know, 90 points, uh, draft him in the second round, third round. Um, I'm not here for that. I think, yeah, somewhere like maybe the sixth round, I'd be interested because, you know, like, there could be somebody on Chicago who steps up, you know, maybe Lucas Reichel yeah, turns into a really good complimentary piece for him and they kind of go off together. There's there's at least scenarios that you can paint for yourself where he has some upside beyond that kind of 70-point projection that I've got on him. But I think um, just the kind of players that you have to give up to draft him, if you're drafting him in that third-round category, like, I'm not willing to do it there. All right, so I think you and I are pretty much on the same page then. That's almost my thoughts exactly and and we've got him projected for 74 points and 42 goals so and, and I think that's pretty much best case scenario like he needs to stay healthy and and Taylor Hall needs to stay healthy and and all needs to go well for him I think for that to happen so uh yeah like you said I'm not going to pass on some of those elite level players that are going to be available in the third round or the second round it's just not I, I'm just not that risk averse right I'm, I'm more risk averse I should say yeah um Okay, and then I guess too, just with that, some spinoff. Like, do you have any interest in guys like? And I can't believe I don't have him in the list to talk about here later. But uh, Seth Jones as as like a zero D option, right? Yeah, yeah, I do like Seth Jones this year, especially obviously if you're into bangers cats league or something like that. He provides those hits, those blocks that make him extra valuable in that format. Seth Jones is a guy like I don't think he's one of the elite tier defensemen for fantasy, but he does do all the peripheral stuff, and he's like in a normal situation you would expect him to have like a 50-55 point uh, season in Chicago. Maybe you you bump that down a little bit. Maybe it's more like forty five ish points that you're expecting out of Seth Jones, but that's still plenty usable, especially in a situation where he's gonna. Uh, where those peripherals are going to really count for you. So I am pretty interested in, in Seth Jones, and I think his role is probably pretty solid. Like, he's being paid like he's their number one defenseman for yeah. the, basically the rest of most of the players on that team's careers. So I think, uh, <laughs> I think his role there is probably pretty secure for the moment. Fair enough. Um, Tyler Toffoli had uh, scored a goal for the Devils in a 3-2 win over the Rangers tonight. Akira Schmid had 19 saves. Um, and then both Hughes brothers actually posted assists as well. So I, I know you're you're a fan of Jack Hughes. Um, Tyler Toffoli, does he have a chance to set a new career high this year, or is that is that a little too optimistic? It's a little bit too optimistic for me just because I think you look at the top power play unit and you have to feel like it's kind of set. They went out and they paid Timo Meyer a huge amount of money this offseason. 
So you feel like you're not doing that unless he's a crucial part of your power play plans. And he's been a good power play player in the past. So that would make sense. Obviously, Jack Hughes, the franchise, he's going to be there. Nico Heischer, the captain, you feel like he's going to be there. And then Jesper Bratt, who has worked so well with Hughes um, for both of their careers, basically, to this point. Um, and also a very good power play player. Uh, I don't really see a way that he comes off. And Toffoli, as a shooter, kind of, you already have two shooters with Meyer and Hughes there. So I don't really see them, like, kind of just replicating that role all across the ice. Uh, I don't know exactly what kind of formation would make that work, <laughs> but uh, I just feel like it's it's most likely that we see Toffoli on the second power play unit, barring injury. So, and uh, Anytime that your your base level is on the second power play unit, you just have to knock that player's projection down by, you know, 10 to 15 points or whatever it might be. Um, you know, if if tomorrow we find out that, you know, Meyer's got an injury that's going to keep him out for a bit or Brat does, somebody else does, then I do think Toffoli's probably the next guy up and then I'd be a lot more excited about him. But in the current iteration, like, yeah, he's going to get his, his, uh, his work at 5A5 and that's going to be obviously really good in New Jersey. They look like a really solid team, but I think without the power play stuff, I don't think you can expect him to go above and beyond what he did last year. Okay. Uh, and then Luke Hughes is a guy that we've talked about a lot this summer. I don't personally have a ton of interest in him right now. I think like he's going to be a, a great defenseman eventually, but he's buried in the depth chart in New Jersey behind Dougie Hamilton on the power play. Um, he's going to have exposure to some great players. He's probably going to top four minutes there, but he was kind of going in the same range as some of those guys like Justin Falk and I think even uh, Aaron Eckblad and, and Drew Doughty. Like guys like that are in the same range right now, which is kind of, at least on Yahoo. If I look on, on fan tracks, it's a different story. But um, for you, any interest in Luke Hughes this year? Um, not really. I, I just don't think that this year is going to be the year. Like it seems like we always get hyped up, especially about defensemen, right? Like it's a tough league to adjust to. And yeah, maybe the offense is, is ready to be there, but it seems like with all these offensive young defensemen, if they're really like uh, these guys that they really want to build up to be top pair defensemen, they kind of strip them down at the beginning. They say, no, you got to learn how to play defense first. You got to do these things for us. And then we'll trust you with the minutes and give you more rain as you kind of grow into that role. I kind of see that happening here. Uh, Dougie Hamilton, for me, is like a top five offensive defenseman in the league, so I don't see Luke Hughes unseating him from that power play anytime soon. So again, you're kind of you're kind of uh, capped, right, in terms of your fantasy relevance right away. And yeah, I just don't see him, you know, instantly walking into top power play, 22 minutes a night, that kind of deployment that's kind of necessary, really, for us to get really excited for fantasy purposes. So until I see evidence that that could change, I'm just not going to be super interested in Luke Hughes. I think probably, you know, next year or maybe even the year after is when we really start to see him come into his own as a fantasy asset. Okay, that makes sense to me. Uh, Tom Wilson had a goal and assist tonight in the Capitals' fourth through win over the Red Wings. John Carlson and Rasmus Sandin both scored a goal. Uh, Robbie Fabry scored twice. Daniel Sprong had a goal and assist. Um We've talked about Sprong a little bit as maybe of a, a bit of a deep sleeper in Detroit. Uh, is that a guy maybe who's on your, your watch list later in drafts? Yeah, for sure. Sprong has always shown up well in a lot of the advanced statistics that we like to look at at Apples and Genos. Uh, he's always been a guy who just doesn't seem to ever, you know, win the coaches over enough to move up from the bottom six to the top six. 
Uh, seems like he's been getting a little bit more of a look in that regard in the early going here in the preseason with Detroit. Uh, few, I haven't seen the lines from tonight, but I've seen a few lines out there where he's gotten a look higher up in the lineup. So if that comes true, then definitely I'd, I'd have some interest in Sprung because, yeah, he, he shoots a lot. He gets to high danger areas and he converts at a pretty solid clip as well. So all of that combined makes him, you know, like a 25 goal threat if everything starts to work together and he starts to get the ice time. Yeah, I like the acquisition for Detroit. I wasn't quite as down on the Iser plan as a lot of people were this summer. Um, I think that a lot of the acquisitions were fine. Uh, we'll see what happens there. But uh, Tom Wilson, I know you probably didn't love that contract like most of us. Uh, it's probably not going to age well. Uh, hopefully he's healthy and back at it. And then is there any... There's, it's funny. There's a lot of people out there saying Rasmus Sandin may take some power play time away from John Carlson. I don't buy it. Um, what's your take on it? Yeah, I don't either. Um as a Leafs fan, a long-suffering Leafs fan, I watched Sandine <laughs> here, and he's a he's a talented player. Uh, don't get me wrong; he's he's a heads-up player, very offensively intelligent, I would say. But I don't think he has a lot of the tools that a guy like Carlson has, and so I think he's just kind of naturally limited in that way. And John Carlson has had one down season. The previous, I think, four or five seasons before, he was averaging like seventy points a season. Like, I just can't believe that suddenly we've just witnessed the one season demise of John Carlson just because you know he missed half the season with a broken face like (laughs) his ear (laughs) fell off like there was all sorts of stuff yeah I just don't think that we should be that worried about John Carlson I have John Carlson in most formats as a top five defenseman for fantasy this year like there's there's a lot of value there with Carlson in my mind and I'm not really sure where the the uh, kind of trepidation is coming from to be honest well, a spoiler alert, we're going to talk about John Carlson in our uh, Zero D segment, but that's fine. You know, I I, I totally agree with you. That's, I was just surprised where his ADP was at. Um, looking at, at Yahoo, it's not quite as bad, obviously, when you look at fan tracks. And so it's just that discrepancy between the two platforms is really interesting. Obviously, you have a lot more casual players on, on Yahoo, and you have Dynasty and Keeper. And so we were talking with Victor about this last night. And it makes sense because that in those formats, obviously, you have players that are more invested and more experienced. And so... Uh, the ADPs are probably a little more accurate, which is interesting. But anyway, um, Tristan Jari made 25 saves tonight in the Penguins' 3-1 preseason victory over Buffalo. Eric Carlson made his debut pretty quiet, though, just one shot in over 19 minutes of time on ice, and then Tage Thompson scored uh, in a losing effort as well. Uh, Eric Carlson, that's just an interesting situation. We just There's a note out the other day from, from Mike Sullivan that uh, – they're, they're going to run Eric Carlson and Chris Letang on the top power play unit together. Does that affect your approach to either player for this season? No, honestly, that had kind of been my base assumption uh, when building my projections. Uh, just because, you know, you have Gensel who's going to apparently miss a few games to start the season, maybe a couple weeks or so. And then, you know, I just don't see a scenario in which Chris Letang's not the next most talented player on the team that you want to have on that power play. And he's never, like, if you've ever watched Pittsburgh run their power play, he typically plays the point, right? But he's moving around, he's creating chances, they rotate stuff. Malkin goes up to the top a lot on that power play. They like his shot from up there probably more than they like Letang's. Letang goes to the half wall. 
Like they do a lot of variable stuff. And I think Carlson really fits into that really well as well. So they'll, I think they'll rotate those guys all around and they'll just look to get multiple in a lot of ways with that power play. And I just always thought that kind of made sense that both of those guys could coexist pretty well. And in that case, that really honestly kind of raises the the ceiling for Latang rather than decreases it in my mind. Like, I don't think Latang or I don't think Carlson rather is the kind of guy who really takes a ton of even strength away from Latang. If right. we're thinking that they're going to be on different pairs, I think they'll probably lean on those two pairs a fair bit. But I think Latang is still going to be the guy who eats the toughest minutes, and they'll let Carlson eat against some of the the lesser minutes, and they'll probably play together in you know like if they're trying to come back uh, behind late in the game, they'll probably put both out together and try to get that offense that way. Like I just think that uh, there's a lot of concern about Latang's role that's been pretty overblown this year, and I'm pretty into Latang at cost. I, I would agree with that. So it might like are you targeting Carlson first and then Latang? I'm I'm just thinking in a in a in a banger format, obviously Latang is gonna provide more more category coverage for you. Um, but Carlson in a points league it's it's probably not that close. I, I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I would have Latang over Carlson in a bangers format. It's pretty close, I think, in uh, in uh, more points format. I do have Carlson projected for more points. I think it was uh, low 70s, if I remember correctly, is what I have for Carlson. But I have Latang for 60 points uh, if, in this current setup. If he is going to be there on the top power play and get those those points, then mm-hmm. like I don't think that the uh, divide between the two in terms of sheer point production is going to be quite as drastic as most people think this year. All right. Uh, that'll do it for some preseason discussion here. We're going to move on to general draft strategy. So just a few questions here for you, Nate. Um, starting with, what are some of your personal favorite fantasy hockey resources to get ready for the upcoming season? Are there, obviously you're, you're in heavy into the analytics side of things, but are there any, any guides that you reference or writers or, you know, stats guys, websites, what kind of stuff do you look at typically? Yeah, the number one site that I typically use for our, um, my research is Natural Statric. Uh, that's where I got a lot of the advanced stats that I continually reference on the podcast. Um, I really like to hear what beat reporters are saying, uh, especially this time of year, just to kind of track whether my assumptions, like the Latang being on top power play, I wanted to find out if that's how it's been tracking early in camp. Um, you know, sometimes it's a little bit difficult to try to figure out and uh, they're moving stuff around and they're trying new things. The Leafs are trying William Nylander as the third center. Like, I don't <laughs> so you got to kind of weigh these things a little bit differently. Um, but I really like to at least have that point of reference and uh, see how things are tracking in the early going. And then, you know, I do, I do, you know, just listen to a lot of podcasts whenever I can. I get another podcast in whatever's the latest uh, in the feed and just hear what other people are, are talking about and what they're thinking. I think it's really important that we, as fantasy managers and for myself as a content creator, that I don't allow myself to, you know, just get locked into one way of thinking and think that, you know, just because uh, the way that I did it last year, I had some success that that's the absolute best way to do it. And I can't learn anything again this year. I like to hear other people's opinions and uh, try to keep my hubris aside and, and <laughs> ask myself critically if, if somebody might have an insight into a situation that I hadn't really considered before uh, that might change the way I view something. So uh, in terms of, you know, 
actual guides or sites or anything. I'm not doing a whole lot these days. I'm really just into the stats for myself and then trying to corroborate that with the actual reports, like news reports. Mm -hmm. Um, But I do value uh, just hearing other opinions from people that I trust and respect and I know have actually, you know, had some critical thought go into <laughs> into their stances. Uh, sure. I think that's important for sure as well, just to give yourself those kind of grounding points and see if there's something out there that you might not have considered before. Yeah, there's there's a lot of great fantasy hockey content creators out there, yourself included. And, you know, Victor, we had on last night. So that's that's one that we listened to quite a bit. Um, and it's just a, those are just great resources because you can someone's taken the time. I mean, you and I and Bruce, we can all appreciate how much time goes into to one episode, right? And the, the amount of research you have to do and stuff like that. And so uh, as, a, as a casual listener, for you to consume that content in, you know, 30 minutes to an hour, um, there's a lot of knowledge to be had there for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, what is your general strategy heading into standard redraft leagues? Like, is there, I know we've talked about this in the past and, and you've kind of said you, you like to remain fluid. Um, is that still the case? Are there specific players or positions you're targeting early? Like I know you're a zero G guy, obviously. Uh, just tell us a bit about your your thought process heading into drafts. Yeah, I think early in the drafts, I'm really just kind of, um, I I really try to have a, a solid idea going into the draft based on the settings, roster settings, the scoring settings, all that of what kind of like my first round or my first two rounds really looks like, kind of ask myself those tough questions, you know, based on my draft slot, if I know what my draft slot's going to be. Like, if it comes down to these two players, what do I really think? Is it this guy or is it this guy? I have my projections, obviously, that I reference. And, um, you know, if they're if they're close between the two, then I start to think a little bit more about, you know, is there more upside with this player? Is there more downside with this player? How does that factor in? Early on, I don't want to take a lot of risk. I want to be pretty safe with those picks. I want my early picks to hit and kind of carry me through the season. And then I want my later picks to kind of really be those upside swings where I'm looking for a guy who might break out and might provide me that extra value that kind of pushes me over the hump and makes me one of the elite teams in my league. So I really want to, uh, yeah, early on kind of set that floor, that baseline with those players that I feel really confident in. I don't want to be taking players just because, you know, ADP tells me to at that spot. I want to be (laughs) personally feeling confident about the players I'm picking at the top. And then later on, I'll open it up a little bit and uh, get a little creative with who I'm willing to reach on. Okay. Uh, Positional scarcity or or value over replacement, is that those things that you're paying a lot of attention to, you know, in in rounds four through 10? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I I do think value over replacement is something that people should pay attention to. Usually you think about it in terms of defensemen because it's kind of hard to weigh, you know, you look at the points scored by a defenseman, it's obviously never going to match up to a forward and they're just not in those positions to score as many points. So the value versus, you know, a replacement level defenseman that you could get off the waiver wire is something you have to consider and where you should be drafting those defensemen. Also, you know, there's a big difference. Uh, The patron league that I drafted uh, with the Apples and Genos guys tonight, we have three centers, three left wings, three right wings, and a utility spot, and then four defenseman slots. But if you're in a league where there's only two center, two left wing, two right wing, and four defenseman slots, that changes the calculus a lot. Those four defenseman slots mean a lot more to you uh, because they're just a bigger portion of your team. So if you can get some solid players who are really good value over replacement at defense in a league like that, 
then that definitely is something you should be thinking about and kind of valuing a little bit different, especially in those rounds. Makes sense to me. Uh, Bruce, what about you? Like value over replacement or, or you know, what's, what's your general draft strategy heading into to redraft leagues? I just listen to you and then I just pick all your players around <laughs> early. It's pretty simple. It's been working for the past few years. Oh man. No, I, uh, uh, I basically take a look at the, take a look at everything. And I kind of, for me, based on where my draft position is. So when I see where I'm drafting, I can go through my list of players and see, okay, who's going to be roughly available when, if there's a certain player I want, do I want to reach for him or I want to reach for him? Um, as I said last year, I took the zero G thing to the extreme in the one league. Literally, my last three picks were goaltenders. So it actually worked out fairly well for me, too. I was actually quite surprised. But um, And to just try to remain fluid. I, I have players that I like to target, but I have I keep a fairly long list of in all the positions so that if the ones I have on my list go quickly, I'm not going to be, oh, crap, I got to go search for a defenseman. I've got, I've got lots there in the tanks, Delta. I think it's only happened once where I ran out of players where I had to go quickly search for another one. <laughs> and that's tough when you have 30 seconds to draft a player or, or even 60 seconds still, but it's, yeah, it's tough. Yeah. That time goes by very quickly when you're scrambling. It does for sure. Uh, Nate, I wanted to ask you your position on rookies. So quite often these guys, we talked about rookies last night with Victor and, and quite often they get hyped up in the preseason over the summer they get the draft everyone gets excited you get into the preseason these guys are getting more ice time than they probably normally would um how do you approach rookies particularly in redraft leagues yeah in redraft it's i've rarely had a rookie on on one of my teams in a redraft league because i feel like they usually fall into one of two camps either they're um, really hyped up like Connor bedard uh, and they end up going just higher than I'm comfortable taking them or they're like guys that I'm like I don't even know you know they might open the the season on the third line and maybe if they play good they get a chance to do a little more but you feel like they're just as likely to be dropped by whoever drafts them in the first week of the season and then I can pick them up if they start to turn things around and really start to have a good season after that. I really have not found myself in a spot to draft rookies a whole lot. I do think that there's a solid chance actually this year that that might change a little bit just based on where guys like Adam Fantilli and Logan Cooley are going because I do really like the situation for both those players. I think there's uh, actually some strong players for them to play with on their respective teams if they get the kind of deployment they need, and you'll find out pretty quick. Like Early on, I've seen Fantilli be on the top power play unit in Columbus. If that sticks and he's up there with Goudreau and Line and Wierenski, like those are guys that would be on any top power play unit across the league. So uh, I'd be pretty excited actually about that one. And yeah, really the center depth chart is wide open. You know, Boone Jenner's been their de facto number one center, but if you look across the league, I don't think anybody thinks Boone Jenner is uh, a upper echelon number one center. Blake, so Blake, if you're listening, cover your ears. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> Jenner is uh, is Blake's guy, that's for sure. But I do think, you know, there's opportunity, right, for Fantilli to go all the way to the top with that team if he's able to to latch on and take hold. He's played the NCAA game. Uh, he's played against men. That's not the – you don't have the same concern that you do for some of these players coming out of junior where they've been dominating, you know, 17, 18-year-olds. So – I do really think that Fantilli and Cooley in particular are two guys that I could see myself taking a swing on in some later rounds just because I do think there is some upside there. 
I love Fantilli for this year. Actually, again, and listeners will be sick of me saying this, but I, I drafted Fantilli <laughs> in my dynasty league that I'm playing in with with uh, Victor this year, and I think he's going to have a good season. I, I do agree with everything you said. Um, even if he doesn't get top power play, if he gets power play two and he's still playing in the top six with some of those players, he's had lots of time with Liney and they've looked pretty good together. So, uh, yeah, color me intrigued for sure. Um, we're going to get into zero G, so I won't pick your brain just yet on that. But uh, can you provide our listeners maybe with a few early draft observations from the mock drafts you participated in this summer? So where, where are you finding good value in the draft and, and what players are being overdrafted in your opinion? Yeah. I do think that there is a fair contingent of defensemen in those middle rounds right now, and it's kind of pushing all of them down, uh, I've been finding in my drafts. like I feel like in a lot of previous years, a guy like Noah Dobson would have been chased up to like the sixth round, and now I'm finding him in the eighth and ninth and tenth rounds, and I'm, I'm pretty interested in that because I do think that you know there's there's just an an economy at at work here where there's only so many power play one quarterback roles across the league to go, go around. And if you get one of those guys and he's actually good, then that's a value over replacement proposition, right? For these defensemen. So I'm pretty into uh, all those defensemen values in those middle rounds. Uh, Dobson being one of those guys, Chikrin being another one of those guys, uh, Honestly, don't know if he's going to get that top power play, but he's looked pretty good in the preseason. He's been top power play in the past, and he provides basically every category you could ever think of. He's going to provide you something in it. So uh, Chikrin's another name that I'm pretty interested in in the mid-rounds. And then, yeah, that's really been one of my biggest takeaways is really just the the kind of long list of defensemen that are worth taking uh, in those middle rounds. And I'm happy to kind of fill up my defenseman core in those rounds, kind of focus on the forwards early and then fill up on defensemen in those middle rounds uh, where they seem to be uh, really available. Once again, I think there's a thousand goaltender options late. Like I don't think it would surprise anyone if, you know, Logan Thompson or Aiden Hill were really good for Vegas this year and ended up seeing a majority of starts there. And so which one is it going to be? That's the reason both of them are are pretty depressed in ADPs across any site really that you look at. So um, there's lots of situations like that. I think Phoenix Copley in Los Angeles is another example of just a goaltender really late that could emerge on a good team. Uh, I think we'll, we might talk about him later as well, but I just think once again, there's a lot of goaltender options late that I'm super interested in. Some that honestly are not even being drafted in a lot of leagues. So yeah. I, I just think that there's lots of value to be found at goalie late. You really do not have to force it this year, uh, even more honestly than in, in years past. So um, in terms of overdrafted, uh, I did write down a few names Uh I've gotten some hate for this one, but I do think Tim Stutzler is being a little bit overdrafted in some ways. Yes, I've seen him. I mean, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I've seen him go in the first round of a league. Uh, I've seen him go in the early second in a lot of places. Uh, it seems like everyone's baking in, honestly, even another step for Stutzler this year, where if I look at his advanced stats and his, uh, his what I would call luck metrics is shooting percentage and things like that, that uh, I think he probably performed on honestly, probably about as well as he possibly could have last season with terrific deployment over 21 minutes, average time on ice. If any of that takes a step back this season, then you're looking at a guy who's just really good instead of elite. 
And if you're drafting a guy that high, he has to be elite. So Stutzla's one for sure. I think Ryan Nugent Hopkins has probably been talked to death a little <laughs> bit. Um, I just think that, you know, a guy whose previous career high was 77 points and now has 100 and what was 102, 104 104 points. points yeah. Yeah. Um, I just can't buy into that. There are a lot of underlying metrics that show that that's probably going to come back down. Um, another one that I think is actually kind of interesting uh, is Adam Fox. I just find that Fox is not a guy, if you're in a points-only league uh, where points are your only thing, then sure, Adam Fox is really good. He's going to score a ton of points. But he doesn't do a lot of the things that count for most of our leagues. He doesn't take a lot of shots. He doesn't hit really at all. And so I always find that Adam Fox goes off way before I'm even starting to consider him. Like he's going off the back end of the second round in a lot of leagues, early third round. And I've got a long list of defensemen that I'm still interested in before Adam Fox at that point that I'm getting in like the sixth round. So yeah. um, I just find that Adam Fox seems to be continually kind of chased up boards. Maybe it's a, a New York factor. Maybe it's something <laughs> to do there. Uh, but um, I think Fox is an interesting name that seems to be kind of perennially overdrafted in my opinion. I, I would agree with that assessment too, for sure. Uh, Tim Stutzla, we've got him for 37 goals and 94 points this year. So probably more of more of the same again. Um, Ottawa is just going to be really good this year. I don't see that, like, you know, barring major injuries. But um, I, I did make an interesting note here, too. He actually played at 105.43 goal pace over the final 40 games of the season. Um, I, I understand totally and agree with what you're saying. Those luck metrics and just the underlying numbers are are concerning, right? Like he's kind of at a point where you can't really expect a whole lot more, but um, I think we'll see kind of something in this, in a similar range for this year, but in the first round, that's, that's pretty rich. I, I don't know if I'm reaching for him there. I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> I like the player. I like the player a lot, but yeah, not, not in the first round. No, thanks. Uh, okay. Well, so we got lots to talk about for zero G here, Nate. Um, is there anything else just general draft strategy that you want to impart to our listeners before we move on? Uh, yeah, I think I've covered most of it in terms of general things that I'm seeing in drafts this year. Um, yeah, if, if people want uh, an additional source of projections, I know a lot of people love to, you know, mash all these projections together and get an average. <laughs> and, uh, I, I do think there's some value in that. You know, nobody's going to have a 100% bead on the truth. Everybody's going to view situations a little bit differently. And so there is probably some value in, in averaging some things together and you get the, uh, you know, the people that all sources are high on are probably pretty good bets, right? So yep. uh, having those people at the top of your list will probably never be a bad a bad way to go. So uh, yeah, I have projections available if people are interested in that. I've been working on perfecting that process and I'll continue to do so as long as I do it. But uh, yeah, did really well with the projections last year. Was really pleased with how they came out and how they stacked up against some of the some of the other best in the biz. Uh, compared them to the guys like Don Lucision and Scott Cullen, and I was pretty happy with how it stacked up. So, if people are interested in that. They can find that at the at the links that we mentioned before. For sure, I I, I got to pick your brain about projections off air sometime because I I'm just I'm trying to sort out. You know, we we put together kind of our own system this year, and I think it it went fine. We'll see how it goes next year, but. Um, Obviously, you've done it a lot, and, and to have the success you've had, uh, if we can get some, some pointers, that'd be great. So we'll have to talk off air. Sure. Um, all right, let's jump into it then. 2023-2024, zero-G targets. And we're also going to talk about zero-D targets because, as we've kind of alluded to throughout this entire episode, zero-D is now a thing 
uh, as well. So, uh, and and sorry, one of your guys, uh, I can't remember who it was, wrote an article on Zero D. Yeah, Mark Barber is at Eighteen Skaters. If you're looking for him, uh, either in the Discord or on Twitter. Uh, yeah, really, really sharp manager. Uh, he's kind of put forward uh, his zero D strategy, what he typically likes to do. Uh, yeah, just kind of fading defenseman because he finds that he's able to get some replaceable value later. I personally am not uh, not all on board with that strategy. Uh, <laughs> we can get into it. I've, I've gotten into it with him, and I always appreciate the conversations with him. Um, but yeah. Basically, last year in particular, I think there were a lot of these defensemen like Vince Dunn, Josh Morrissey, who uh, kind of broke out from yeah the back end of drafts or some were sometimes not even being drafted. And so I think that we have a little bit of a, a unique situation last year in which there were a lot of these defensemen that kind of emerged from the back end. Uh, that we might not have this year with a lot of more, a lot more top power play units in particular, just feeling a lot more solidified with their, with their power play quarterback this year. So I think it might be a little bit more flat in that regard this year. All right. Uh, So before we jump into some zero G candidates and where you can find some value in your drafts, can you maybe just give us your, your elevator pitch for the zero G draft strategy? Yeah, so basically uh, it all started back in 2021. I did a study uh, just kind of comparing how goaltenders were being drafted versus how they finished in Yahoo. I used a couple of different setups, you know, a categories league setup versus a points league setup. And basically what I found was uh, there wasn't a whole lot of value to be gained. Like basically the top, I think I did the top 14 goalies, uh, versus the next group of 14 goalies, so 15 through 28, they performed on average pretty similarly. So you're basically wasting picks taking any of those top 14 goalies unless you just happen to hit on that exact right one that was really good. Um, that leveled off a little bit the following season, but then again this past year it kind of uh, went more more back towards being unpredictable so there's been a a little bit of up and down but i think we have enough of a sample size i've done this study for three years now across three seasons Uh, goalies are relatively unpredictable uh, when you compare them to other other positions and the bigger point in my mind is that they're ultimately more replaceable Uh, we find guys like philip gustafson comes out of nowhere. Nobody was talking about this guy, uh, Stuart Skinner, uh, for your Edmonton Oilers. Everybody was obviously drafting Jack Campbell. He was supposed to come in there and solidify the crease. We all know how that went. But then Stuart Skinner had a ton of value uh, for fantasy managers as a result of that situation. Um, there were, yeah, like almost a dozen more that I could name. Uh, uh, Linus Allmark. Exactly. Yeah, Linus yeah. Allmark, a uh, really big example last year. So, um, yeah, I think there's just uh, so many of these options that emerge even throughout the season, not even necessarily guys that, you know, are there are going to be there for your roster the entire season. But you can patchwork together a really solid goaltending group um, throughout the waiver wire throughout the season in my mind. And I really think that goaltenders in general uh, vary like even month to month or even week to week a lot more than we care to realize. And so I really want to stay fluid at the position. And I really think that zero G is the way to do that where you're just never too invested in the goalies that you're rostering. 
I love it. I know Bruce, you love it. You you bought in right away. Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah. I I, like I said I I took it to the extreme a couple of times. Well, <laughs> and it's funny if you if you've been listening to this show since the beginning, um, and, and you know Nate, you that's you started zero G back in while well, you kind of formulated did this study in 2021, and and I think you were you were our first guest on the show um, shortly after we started the podcast. So, uh, just funny how those things collided together and. Um, it's a really interesting strategy. I utilize it. I, I would say I've done more of a, like a goaltender fade as opposed to the zero G, but I guess that's kind of part of the strategy too. It's just how far do you fade it? And, um, so yeah, it's, uh, it can work. No question. Um, so we got some, some guys want to talk about tonight and, and Thatcher Demko is the first one. Um, and so for his, his ADPs right now, Yahoo 98.1 fan tracks going at 108. So to me, it's interesting that those two numbers are actually quite similar, at least at the time of writing, um, where we see that discrepancy usually. But Demko last year uh, posted an 11-4-2 record uh, upon returning from injury in February, a 9.18 save percentage. Um, he looked really good down the stretch. And so I guess my question to you, Nate, is is he a zero-G option in your mind for this year? Our projection for him is 60 starts and 32 wins. Yeah, I think Demko probably kind of uh, starts off that kind of zero G tier uh, by ADP, if you want to look at it that way. Uh, sure. in, the, in drafts where he's falling, I'll take a look for sure. I've seen him go, you know, in the 10th round in some spots, and that's a pretty solid spot to start looking at a guy who, you know, A, has a history of playing pretty well uh, in spurts. Obviously, last season didn't go to, according to plan for anybody in Vancouver, but I don't think anybody is assuming that that's the new normal. Um, but is also like the unquestioned uh, workhorse starter on this team, right? Like there's nobody who's going to challenge him for starts. So I think that Demko, uh, just in terms of the safety of his position on the team, the amount of starts that he's going to get, and then we do have, you know, at least some track record of performance to go off of here. So I do think that Demko kind of, yeah, starts off that, uh, that kind of zero G tier in my mind. I found it interesting. I don't know if you listened to it, but Leon Dreisettle did that interview with um, on the Thirty Two Thoughts podcast, and you know they say players always know first, and he actually complimented the Canucks and, and said that uh, they have all the pieces you want in a team that's going to compete for the for the for the playoffs, right? So um, that's probably some good news, I think, and and I I would agree with that. They got lots of good pieces there. They just haven't been able to put it together, and I guess the Pacific is more competitive now too. But uh, if Demko can stay healthy, I am for sure interested. Uh, what about Jacob Markstrom? So we've got him projected for 57 starts and 26 wins. His ADP in Yahoo, 130. And in Fantrax, it's a, a bit later at 163. But obviously his his struggles are well-documented last season. Uh, they still have Dan Vladar there for a couple more seasons. And they've got Dustin Wolf knocking on the door. And I just wonder if what we've seen today with uh, a guy like Vasilevsky... I know they're tight against the cap, but Puckpedia did say they do have about $2.2 million. They could make that happen. So uh, my my conspiracy theory is they maybe Calgary sends Vladar out, uh, Tampa says thank you, and then uh, maybe Dustin Wolf becomes of interest, um, you know, early in the season here. But what do you think? Yeah, I like Markstrom. Um, I do think that Wolf is a great goaltender and he'll be in the league um, for a long time. Uh, based on everything we've seen from him at the professional level so far in the AHL. But uh, I do think that, you know, 
there's still some tenor left on this contract for Markstrom. They really don't want it to go down as a really terrible contract. <laughs> so he's definitely going to get at least an opportunity in the early going to see if he can reclaim. And again, a guy who has a track record in the past of being pretty solid. Um, maybe never an elite tier goaltender, but definitely uh, a very solid, probably most people would say above average starter at his peak. So you have to wonder, um, yeah, exactly what was going on. Similar to Vancouver, Calgary was a bit of a tire fire last year. Seems like there was stuff going on behind the scenes that was not great for anybody involved there. So who knows how that affected Markstrom. Maybe it Maybe that is totally unrelated and Markstrom has just fallen off a cliff at this point and he's going to be bad. But, you know, where you have to pay to get him in your drafts, like you're not paying a huge price. And the upside is that, you know, Calgary was actually, by the metrics, a really solid team uh, kind of across the board. They were generating a ton of chances. They were preventing chances against, especially at even strength. So I really think that this is a team that uh, in if, uh, if Markstrom is right, uh, it could be a situation where he's actually very valuable for fantasy. So I'm interested to see what the new coach does, how he changes maybe the system, maybe that mitigates some of that effect. But uh, I do think that there's at least a lot of upside here with Markstrom in this situation. Well, us as Oilers fans, we like to joke that Connor McDavid broke Jacob Markstrom and the Calgary Flames and um, so because <laughs> they haven't been the same since. But uh, I would agree. And I think a lot of it can be attributed to, to Daryl Sutter. I'll, I'll just throw his name out yeah. there. Cause I, I think it was interesting. Even Jacob Pelche was throwing shade at Sutter, uh, in one of his interviews in the preseason here. So uh, I think that that problem has been resolved and they can probably move on now and, uh, probably have a little more success this year. Uh, but let's talk about your, your Toronto Maple Leafs. Let's talk about Ilya Samsonov and Joseph Wall. Obviously Samsonov was, was really good last season uh, had had a breakout year for him right I think a 27 10 and 5 record a 233 goals against average and a 919 save percentage Bruce we know you loved the the Leafs tandem last year that worked out just fine for oh, yeah. you worked out wonderfully for me last year absolutely but I loved it you know the question here though is is Joseph Wall I mean he like so first off Samsonov 81 ADP Fantrax ADP is 126 uh, Wall's going much later 167 in Yahoo and 250 in uh, in Fantrax. Wolves looked really good, Nate, in, in a limited sample. I mean, it's it's 11 games, but I think he's got what a nine and two record or something. Um, like just really, really good stats when you look at it on the surface. Uh, Samsonov has also shown that he can deal with injuries, and I, I know you don't draft that way, right? But it's just he's he struggled with that. I don't think he's ever played more than 44 games in a season, 45 games in a season. Um, uh, any any hope for Wall and and uh, you know what do you put Samsonov ceiling at for the season? Yeah, I think ceiling wise, Samsonov has one of the highest ceilings in the league. To be quite honest with you, like again in Toronto, you're in a situation where it's a top third team defensively. Last year, um, don't see much reason why it would be so different again this season. Uh, maybe John Klingberg is really just that bad defensively that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> leads to another 20 goals against this year, but we'll see, I guess. But I think that Samsonov, uh, it's, it really comes down to me uh, to just how much volume he's actually going to get. Like last year he started, what, 42 games? Is he really going to be a 60-game starter? I'm not sure about that. Um, they brought Martin Jones in to be like that third goaltender. Uh, 
they're obviously kind of uh, building themselves uh, a situation where, you know, they don't get into a, what Tampa Bay is experiencing right now. So I think that Wall will definitely get an opportunity here. I just don't know how big that opportunity is going to be. It's a really small sample size. He had a solid season in the AHL last year, but even the AHL season for him was only 21 games. Um, and really that was the first season that he actually looked like a, an outstanding goaltender was last season. So he had a really good season. He had a really good single season at age 25. I, I'm just not ready to fully buy in and say, you know, this is the guy and it's going to be a split net and eventually Wall's going to take over and be the Leafs starter. I, that's within the range of outcomes for sure, but um, anyone facing uh, a whole lot off of his total of 28 games played last year is probably uh, probably doing a little bit more projecting than I'm comfortable with at this point. <laughs> totally fair. Uh, so I guess then, yeah, for this season, you're going to comfortably draft Samson off at some point if, if there's value for you and just confidently knowing that he's going to be the starter there. Yeah, I would say so. I mean, there's, there's never a, a terrific amount of confidence in any of these goaltenders once you get past the guys that are getting paid to be the long-term starters for multiple years. But uh, as far as it goes, I think Samsonov proved himself pretty well uh, to the coach and to everyone there last year, played through injury, played well despite being injured. Um, I think he really proved himself last year, and he's definitely going to be at the very least the 1A. All right, let's move on to the Vegas Golden Knights here, talking about Aiden Hill and Logan Thompson. Their ADPs are very close together, which you had mentioned earlier. So 146 for Hill, 157 for Thompson in fan tracks. It's also very close, although later, 188 for Hill, 187 for Thompson. We've got them projected 55 starts for Hill, 34 wins, 27 starts for Thompson, 16 wins. I mean, I you don't want to put a ton of uh, stock in the fact that Hill had a great playoff. I mean, I... I think it comes into play in the fact that he did get that two-year deal. And now that he's making whatever it is, $4.5 million a season, it, it feels like, similar to Markstrom, you, you follow the money, right? I know Ian Gooding is big on that. You follow the money. And I, I don't know. I think Logan Thompson has another two years left on his entry-level deal too. Is that correct? I believe so. Yeah. So, I, so just looking at that, I, I wonder, they've kind of signed Hill for two years to kind of almost like a stopgap, and, and we're going to put some faith in this guy. It could just be a tandem. What are your thoughts, Nate? I kind of see it as a tandem. I think Aiden Hill had a really good run, but we've seen lots of goalies have really good runs and then fall back a little bit the following season. Um, yeah, Hill's just never been a guy that has ever really inspired a ton of confidence for people. He's had spurts here and there with different teams, but um, I think that most likely... Uh, is, you know, this is, again, we're talking about a coach here, and Bruce Cassidy, who did the same thing with Tuka Rask and Yaroslav Halak in Boston, where he split them pretty evenly, despite one being considerably better than the other. Um, so I think you could see something pretty similar here, where, you know, even if Hill is the, like, I do agree, they paid him, he won them a Stanley Cup, they're definitely going to start him on opening night. And he's going to get the majority of starts to open the season. But I don't think that's two of every three starts in my mind. That's like, you know, three of every five starts or something more along those lines. That's how I'm reading the situation. Honestly, I'm not super excited in drafting either of them just because I, I'm never super interested in drafting what I perceive to be clear tandem situations uh, because it just feels like you're 
you're kind of limiting yourself as to the overall upside. If they have two goalies that it looks like they might view pretty similarly, that even if one really does play well, the other one might still be playing well. And you're just kind of, you know, you're getting good stats, but you're only getting them, you know, uh, 55% of the time instead of the 65, 70% of the time that you're really hoping for. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or you're drafting both of them, right? Like you, like, and that seems to be the case right now is they're, they're so close together in their ADPs that guys are just trying to grab both of them if they can. So makes sense to me. Um, similar situation in Ottawa. I think we've got Jonas Corposalo and Anton Forsberg, their ADPs right now, 90, 91 for Corposalo and Yahoo. Forsberg's going undrafted fan tracks, uh, 166 and 423 for Forsberg. So I, I maybe less of a perceived tandem there, right? I think a lot of people are just expecting that Corpus Allo is going to take the reins. Um, but Anton Forsberg was really good uh, in that 2021-2022 season. He had a 21-13-4 record, uh, 264 goals against, and a 921 save percentage between December 1st and the end of the season. So he, lo- he looked, I mean, and again, for a season removed from that, he had that injury last year, um, pretty pretty nasty injuries. Zach Hyman Oof. got pushed into him, yeah. Bruce, you probably remember what? that game. Yeah, I watched that game. I was, oh, I was cringing as soon as I saw that. That just, it did not look good. Yeah, it was ugly. Um, fortunately, Forsberg's declared himself 100% healthy heading into this season, so there should be no concerns there. But Nate, any, like, how are you approaching either of these goaltenders? Yeah, I I have some interest. I think just the Ottawa net is a spot that we should be interested in for fantasy purposes because I do think that the Senators have kind of built up a a solid team here. I kind of hope that they'll start to play a little more defense than they have in years (laughs) past. Address that a little bit with uh, Jake Sanderson, uh, obviously the rookie last year. He'll hopefully come into his own even more this season and then obviously the big trade for Jacob Chikrin last year so I do think they've taken some steps to try to solidify the back end and hopefully they'll be able to you know lend a little bit more support to whoever's back there on any given night they paid Corpus Allo a fair bit right uh, if you're following the money with this one then it would suggest that Corpus Allo is the clear starter I do agree that you know Forsberg has had a really strong um, run with this team before with this coaching staff like I think there's reason to believe that if he got hot again that they might just say you know what we're trying to win here so let's go with the guy who's hot uh, and you know Corpus Allo's not exactly been a shining beacon of uh, consistency <laughs> in his career either so uh, you can definitely see your uh, scenario here in which Corpus Allo uh, even if he starts okay uh, has a section of the season where he starts to peter off and Forsberg kind of is able to supplant him at least for a time so I definitely think this is a situation where I'm interested in drafting Corpus Allo at cost uh, just to get what I perceive to be a clear starter to start the season but uh, in a situation like this I think it's it's an interesting play to draft a starter where it is a clear starting situation in my mind but also, if he's not the starter anymore, you're going to be the first person to know because you're going to be like, hey, my guy hasn't started for two straight games. <laughs> What's going on here? <laughs> and then you kind of know like it might be time to flip over and uh, drop this guy and go to the backup here. So uh, I do think that's an interesting way to approach it. Well, and I would agree with that. And I think just because of where Forsberg is going, either undrafted or, <clears throat> I mean, well, basically undrafted in both Fantrax and Yahoo. So if it does turn... He should be an option on the waiver wire at some point if he needed to. Yep. Um, you mentioned him previously, Cam Talbot and Phoenix Copley. 
again, very close in their their Yahoo ADPs at 171 and 176. Fantrax, again, very similar, 222 for Talbot, uh, 214 for Copley. So I would say with the more astute fantasy managers, there seems to be an edge for Copley. Um, I could see this being a tandem, though, for sure, just given that, like, I'm looking at Talbot and saying he has an established history with Todd McClellan. He had his best season with Todd McClellan in 16-17, I think, where he had a 42-22-5 record and a 9-19 state percentage. That, that's a few years ago now, obviously, but there's an established relationship. Um, they're, they're a solid team defensively. I think if Talbot's going to have a chance to play well anywhere, Los Angeles is a great place. Um, but Copley has shown that he can, can be a serviceable option in that too. So again, what's your approach with the, the LA Kings here? Yeah, if I am taking one uh, later on, you know, maybe it's a deeper league, fourteen-team league, or something like that. Then I am taking Copley. I just, I'm not convinced that Kim Talbot is that good anymore. We're talking about a guy who's 36 years old. Um, you know, he was fairly sheltered in a few of his previous spots. The Minnesota Wild have long been a really solid defensive team, and even his numbers there were solid not terrific uh, and then he goes to the senators and the numbers are really bad on a bad defensive team so um, <laughs> i think that definitely his numbers could be better this year but i do think that um, i'm just more interested in the upside of copley at this point i don't think you know they didn't pay a lot to tell that it's a one-year deal it's a low money deal um, they brought him in to be a piece in that net but i don't think he was you know um, brought in to be the starter by any stretch. So I do think that it's going to be a bit of a meritocracy in this net. And I think if I'm betting on one of these two guys, I think that Copley's probably got a little more juice. Okay, fair enough. Bruce, any difference of opinion with that one? No, I'm thinking it's the same way. I think Talbot's going to be there to, to back up Copley. They'll run with him and if he falters, they'll put Talbot in. If Talbot falters, they'll go back to Copley. It's... <laughs> All right, fair enough. Uh, let's move on to maybe a more clear-cut situation here where I think there's some real value, and that's Philip Grubauer in Seattle. Uh, Yahoo ADP is 160, Fantrax 193. Our projection for him is 54 starts, or 65% net share, and 29 wins. From January 1st to the end of the regular season, he posted a 14-7-3 record, a 2-5-3 goals against average, and 902 save percentage. Uh, fairly pedestrian save percentage, but it's worth mentioning that 2.53 goals against average was 14th over that stretch ahead of players like Igor Shosturkin, UC Soros, and Connor Hellebuck. So really speaks to your point, Nate, about where you draft these top goaltenders and, and the sort of value you can expect to get in return. Um, Grubauer, like I said, going late. So um, I think he's going to help you in win categories. I think goals against average, it looks like he could probably be serviceable in. The save percentage is probably a concern, though. What do you think? Yeah, definitely it's a concern. But again, like the the kind of draft day cost that you're talking about here, it's it's every bit worth the in my opinion. Because, you know, Seattle's a team we expect to be good once again. A team that suppressed chances against really well last year at even strength. I think that they'll do a lot of the same this year. And, you know, you don't need Grubauer to be incredible in that situation. You just need him to be pretty much average. And you're talking about a above average probably fantasy goaltender who you got in yeah what is that like the the 14th round or something like that like yes that's, yeah. that's a big win right if you're able to find something like that that late so i think that grubauer is pretty interesting from that perspective and again this is a situation where you know it is a clear cut starter situation and if 
they do start to go to anybody else. Uh, Joey Decord is the backup there right now, so I don't expect that Decord would, you know, supplant him. But if that does start to happen at some point, if Grubauer is just terrible once again, then I think you'll know pretty quick and you'll know to go on to whoever the next guy up is because the situation is that good. Yeah, for sure. All right, let's talk about Darcy Kemper a little bit. Um, again, another clear-cut starter in Washington there. His ADP is at 100. Uh, in Yahoo, Fantrax, 136. We've got him pegged for 28 wins, 70% net share. Historically, he's been great, right? His career even strength, even strength save percentage is at 922. He's comparable to both Vasilevsky and Hellebuck in that regard. Um, but his even strength save percentage did fall last year, 912 uh, in 2022-23. So, are you interested in Kemper at that point in the draft, or do you have some concerns about a declining Washington Capitals team, an older goaltender? What are your thoughts? Yeah, there's a little bit of concern there, but again, at the at the price here, I'm I'm interested in it because I do think he is the clear starter again here. He's again being paid like it, so I do think that you can do a lot worse than Darcy Kemper. Um, he'll probably be the top goalie on a few of my teams this year, just because of where he's going in drafts and where I can get him. So I do think that he's a solid option. I don't think there's probably a ton of upside just because of the team situation. You know, like the best case scenario for the Capitals this year is that they probably make the playoffs uh, as, you know, the sixth through eighth seed in in the, uh, the conference there. And then uh, the worst case scenario, like they're never going to be the worst team in the league, right? Uh, they're, they're kind of gonna be in that middle middle, For sure. race, middle third of the league it feels like like it feels like we can bank on that so i just don't think that there's like some insane scenario for kemper where he really breaks through like for grubauer i might say like if he has a really big season then seattle could have a really big season and he could be like uh, well you saw it when he was in colorado right <laughs> when he had that huge season yeah and he was just an absolute league winner in that scenario so i don't think that kind of scenario exists for kemper which kind of holds him down a little bit but i do think that he should be really solid and where you're drafting him i think he's a good zero g option perfect uh a couple more goaltenders here Karel v melka average adp or average draft position in yahoo is 180 fan tracks 209 uh at 209 that feels like great value um I'm not sure how you view the the Coyotes this year, Nate, but I think they look a lot better for sure. They brought in some actual NHL-level talent, um, some experienced veteran players. They've got a lot of good uh, to elite-level uh, young players, right? Logan Cooley, you got Barrett Hayden had a really good year last year. Um, Clayton Keller, you got Nick Schmaltz has played at basically a point per game. So, um, And then Sean Jersey comes in, and you've got uh, Valimaki. Like, there, there's some interesting pieces there. So my first question to you, do you like Famelka for next year? And then the second question is, do the Coyotes have a chance to make the playoffs? Um, I think anybody's got a chance to make the playoffs uh, this time of year, but uh, <laughs> I think that there is there is definitely an opportunity here. I I don't think that it's uh, it's totally unreasonable that he's going so late just because of what we've seen from this team in the past, but I do think there is that reason for optimism. So, uh, you know, as a probably a third goaltender on your team, given where he's being drafted at, it's definitely fine to take that shot. You know, in a lot of cases, you know, uh, as Bruce was saying, if he's drafting three goalies at the end of at the end of his draft, then yep. Vamalka being one of those three, that's something I'm absolutely fine with because he has, you know, he's had spurts too where he's actually looked quite good. Um, 
but the situation has held them down thus far. If the situation improves, then you expect the numbers to improve as well. All right, there you go. Uh, I want to talk about Jeremy Swayman a little bit because this 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 actually started as sort of me saying, hey, this guy could be a gem later in the draft. Uh, and then I come to find that uh, <laughs> he's going, this is like a public service announcement. He's going right now in Yahoo, 52.6. Uh, please, Yikes. please don't draft Jeremy Swayman there. That's just a terrible decision. Um, I don't see it happening. I, I do think that Allmark is going to have a sub nine twenty save percentage this year. Looking at some of his numbers, I just, I just don't see it. And I, I really, this has to be the year that Boston takes a step back. There's just, there, I mean, the the the, 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 the division's gotten better, right? You're like you have to look at Toronto, Ottawa, um, even Florida, even with their injuries. Uh, Buffalo looks really good. Like Detroit's made some steps. It's just, I don't really like what Boston's done anyway. So I, look at their center depth. It's awful. Um, so with that, I have some concerns, but if you can get Jeremy Swayman at say 200, that feels like a pretty good bet. But what, how are you approaching Jeremy Swayman specifically and maybe the Boston tandem? Yeah, in general, I'm, I'm just really averse to tandems in general. Uh, I just find, you know, maybe in a, in a categories league where you're really just trying to win some rate stats uh, and you might think that, you know, Swayman can do some of that again. But again, the situation looks to be worse, uh, obviously, this year than it was last year when they had that historic season. So, you know, maybe that those percentages aren't as good as you might expect. And then you're left with a just okay uh, 1B goaltender. Uh, so, like, I'm just not interested in that scenario being one of the more likely scenarios in my mind for a goaltender that I'm going to have to draft. I'd rather, you know, take that shot on a Vimalka. I'd take that shot on a Grubauer, somebody like that, uh, somewhere in this range where if everything goes right, I've actually got something on my hands rather than, you know, in... Swayman's case, really, you're, you have to have an all-mark injury for him to really return any kind of super significant value. Yeah. All right, uh, Nate, we've had you here for an hour and 10 minutes just about, so I, I don't want to take up all night here, but uh, I just want to run through some of these D-men with you quickly because I know some of them, uh, you're on record as, as a fan of these players. And I, one, of course, here is Zach Wierenski. Um, so we, we have not projected for 16 goals and 54 points. But I absolutely believe he's got more upside than that. That's maybe more of a conservative projection. So um, right now in Yahoo, 157 in fan tracks, he's going much earlier at 68. Uh, where are you kind of targeting Wierenski and what's his upside for you? Yeah, I really like Wierenski. I always have. He just shows up really well in, in the stats that I care about the most. He's a massive shot generator from the back end and he converts really well. Always has. And now you're looking at probably the best situation of his career uh, with yeah. the power play that they've got uh, shaping up over there. I've got a pretty solid projection, 20 goals, 64 points on him for this year. That wouldn't surprise me if he's able to hit that. Uh, the only thing that could really kind of hinder him in my mind is if they cut back on some of his even strength minutes with some of the additions that they made on the back end there in Columbus this year. Um, I don't think that that's the most likely uh, scenario, and I haven't really projected it that way, but that is at least a, a scenario that you have to think about when you're drafting him. But given where he's going, like obviously on Yahoo, the 157 ADP is just ridiculous. Uh, I'm smashing <laughs> that all day and twice on Sundays. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and then, uh, the Fantrax ADP 68, uh, that's a little bit more reasonable. You know, that's in the, uh, what is that, the sixth round then? 
that's somewhere where I'm a little bit more uh, a little bit more on board. Like I said, there's a lot of defensemen in that range that are that are pretty interesting, and Wierenski kind of uh, is towards the top of that tier for me, where he's kind of starting off that group uh, just because of that goal potential that he has. I really don't think a lot of other players have. Like uh, I only have three defensemen uh, projected for 20 goals this year. Wierenski is one of them. The other two are Roman Yossi and Kiel Makar. So that can tell you a little bit about how I feel about him as an offensive defenseman. All right, uh, I've got a few more here, Nate. And then for anyone that wants to see the complete list, I've got uh, 10 guys here. I'm going to put this up on our website, fantasyhockeyhacks.com. But um, one, like, there's a few more here. So Michael Matheson, I want to talk to you about Sean Dersey, John Klingberg, and Gustav Forsling. So um, Michael Matheson, does he have 50-point upside? I mean, right now he's going uh, 170 in Yahoo, 115 in Fantrax. That seems like really good value for a guy who's going to run the power play in Montreal. Yeah, I've got Matheson projected projected for 46 points so definitely there's upside for 50 in my mind uh, it is a tough situation obviously in Montreal there's not a lot of high-end talent there you have Cole Caulfield and in my mind that's where the list stops in terms of high-end talent I think <laughs> Suzuki is fine but I don't think he's an elite level player um, or um, even power play uh, contributor so Matheson will kind of have to do it himself if he's going to get there again. He did that for a stretch last year, a solid stretch last year. is really valuable. And I do like, you know, the underlying stats are all there for him. It looks like he's going to once again shoulder a pretty heavy load for this team. So all those things you like to see, but definitely he's going to have to get some help from the team uh, to really push himself above that 50-point mark. And it's hard to see it with the, with the group they've assembled there currently. All right, uh, Sean Dersey, right now in eight, and Yahoo, 158, Fantrax, 159, so that's interesting to see. Our projection for him was 10 goals and 44 points. Um, I was kind of lukewarm on the situation, but now I'm, I'm kind of leaning towards Dersey as the guy running that power play. How do you view it, and where are you taking him? Yeah, I do have Dersey as the odds-on favorite to run that power play at least most of the time. I've been giving him, you know, the the full the full Monty in terms of uh, all that power play time, but I uh, ended up with him for 10 goals and 38 points. I was a little disappointed, honestly. I thought I'd be more into Jersey than my projections came out to be. Uh, again, though, like that's a little bit based on what Arizona was last year, and if the kids are all right and the kids come in and they set the world on fire, then uh, Jersey could be a part of that, and there could be a scenario for sure where he's one of these breakout guys and we're talking about him the way that we talked about Vince Dunn last year right mm-hmm. uh, that's definitely a situation that I could see happening so definitely a guy later on like again very late in your drafts you're not gonna have to pay much to get him there's a strong upside case there okay uh John Klingberg being a, a Leafs fan do you love this do you hate this I mean I I've been saying all summer the only reason you bring this guy in because you know he's not a defensive stalwart He's going to come and play on the power play. And whether that's with Morgan Riley or not, that's the only reason in my mind you bring that guy in. We've got him for 10 goals and 50 points. He's going at 165 in Yahoo, 180 in Fantrax. Uh, Give us your thoughts on John Klingberg. Yeah, I was not a fan of the signing. Uh, I would have rather had Shane Gossespierre for almost exactly the same money. I think Gossespierre is a little bit more of a complete defenseman than Klingberg is. Uh, If that's what you really thought, I'd... Yeah, I also thought that the Leafs had far more issues than whoever's quarterbacking the the top power play unit. Like, 
whoever whoever is quarterbacking that unit is just there to defer to Matthews and Marner and sure. Nylander and Tavares anyway, right? Like yeah. He's, yeah. he's a little bit incidental to the overall play, the <laughs> power play. So I didn't really think they needed to target a guy like this. But um, yeah, definitely if he gets that role and he sticks on it, he's going to run into some points. Riley has run into a ton of points from that position over the last few years. So I do think that there's some points upside there. But again, this is one of those guys, right? You're going to draft him and then you're going to hope that he's on the top power play. And even when he's on the top power play, he's going to go cold for five game stretches and I'm going to get a thousand questions in my inbox. Should I be dropping? (laughs) (laughs) What did you think was going to happen when you drafted this guy? So uh, if you do draft John Klingberg, just be aware that even if he is on the top power play, he's going to have lots of ups and downs where when he's not scoring points, when he's on a little bit of a cold streak, that he's literally not doing anything else for your team. That's a very valid point. Uh, The guy has scored you know, double digit or 10, 10 goals plus in his sleep though, the past few seasons. And I, I think looking at his fan tracks, ADP at one eighty again, seems like you're not investing a lot in that pick. If it does go sideways on you, you know, you can always let him go. But I just think there's some upside there. If he sticks on that top power play unit, a little bit like Tyson Berry, maybe gets, you know, sheltered minutes at even strength and then, and then presents some power play points later. So, but yeah, I, I know in Leafland, it's a, uh, it's a tough pill to swallow. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and then the last guy here just is Gustav Forsling. Um, obviously with Aaron Eckblad and Brandon Montour, the, the injuries they're dealing with. Uh, I know this is a player I've heard you talk about lots and, and probably have some time for Nate. Uh, 133 in Yahoo, 162 in Fantrax. Our projection for him is 12 goals and 42 points. And that was actually before the news of Ekblad and, and Montour missing some time. So uh, where do you have him points-wise and where are you going to take him? Yeah, I... I really like Forsling, the player. I think that, well, Florida in general is just a terrific situation for offense. Um, definitely they love to let their players activate and play offense and play fast and loose in that way. Uh, so I have Forsling for 43 points, and that's without much in the way of power play time. I have seen some reports coming out that Oliver ekman Larson has been kind of slated by the coach for the top power play. We'll see if that's how it starts and how long it lasts. I do think Forsling would be the better candidate for that, just based on you know the career trajectory we've seen from Ekman Larson. Uh, but you know, again, it might be a situation where the Panthers have enough talent elsewhere where they're happy to let Ekman Larson take that role and then really lean on Forsling for those even strength minutes because I do think Forsling is a very very good defenseman and really really solid at even strength like i've been projected for 211 shots and that's without a ton of power play time this is a guy who gets it done at even strength so i think he's valuable enough to be drafted just on basis on the basis of his even strength work and then you can kind of count any power play time that he does run into as as a bonus on top of that but i'm pretty happy to take forsling where he's being drafted currently and then if he does get it then it's bonus on top I'm actually surprised that he's not going earlier in Fantrax. Like Yahoo seems to be bigger on him at 133 and Fantrax at 162. So I, interesting to note, but um, okay. Bruce, any other questions for Nate before we uh, let him get to bed? It's like four o'clock in the morning out in, out in the Eastern time zone there. We should probably let him go to bed. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, Nate, thank you again. It's it's a pleasure as always. Really enjoy having you on the show. Uh, lots of wonderful insights and, and, uh, so yeah, I know our listeners like having you on as well. Um, 
again, one more time, where can they find you on social media and uh, where's your content? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Apples Genos. You can find everything Apples Genos at the website www.applesandgenos.com. That's going to be the best place. But yeah, definitely if you if you if you're one of these uh, degenerates like we are and you love to talk <laughs> hockey twenty four seven, maybe while you should be working, then definitely find your way into the Apples and Genos Discord and come have a chat with us. We're always in there for sure. Uh, and two, if you've enjoyed this episode, you like listening to Nate's content, uh, he's going to be joining us on a semi-regular basis on Wednesday nights, 9 p.m. over at edmontonsportstalk.com for our live radio show uh, once a week. So he'll be part of rotation with with Blake and with uh, the guys we've mentioned previously, obviously Victor and, and Flip and all those guys. Um, so probably once, once every six or seven weeks we'll have you on for that, but uh, we're looking forward to it, especially in season when we can talk about... Uh, things that are going on around the league so that'll be fun um and then for us of course you can find us on on twitter or x at fh hacks on instagram at fantasy hockey hacks check out the website fantasyhockeyhacks.com and if you haven't already check out heavyhockey.com uh, as well okay nate thanks a lot uh we'll see you guys thanks, next week